love. Some would say it took a backseat when the pandemic forced us apart. As a family-run and proudly Canadian-owned company, Charm Diamond Centres saw the need to bring us together with tales of love and created the Canadian Love Map podcast. Since then, we've shared hundreds of real, uplifting stories that prove love conquers all. So thank you for listening. We couldn't do it without you. And remember, love starts here. Don't you just love a good love story? Love is like that. It's the light that is part of your life. It's unconditional. There's something there for all of us. There's hope that we can get through this and find some joy in our lives. He's always been the one. Self-love is a love story too. Those little sparks of joy are really important. Imagine someone making your biggest dream come true. It's important for people to understand that you're not alone. We love to be part of a Canadian love story. The love story never ends. Well, love is the most important thing. The when you pack your bags and leave for work, the hug goodbye and that love and smirk as you promised us you wouldn't be too long. I never understood the distance, only understood time and how much a night you'd cross my mind as I laid in bed wondering where you'd gone. And it takes me back to being a kid and when he was traveling back and forth from going overseas and you know it's true I never understood just how far away he was going I just knew he would he was going away to sing when she passed me that song I wrote back I never thought I'd ever understand how I'd fit into this master plan until the day I took your hand in mine your mother laid you in my arms you took a breath and you took my heart and there and then every single star aligned Hi, I'm Nancy Regan. Today's love story belongs to the Guthros, and it's in the key of C for connection. I'm joined in the studio by award-winning singer-songwriter Bruce Guthrow, a guy who's found fame on both sides of the Atlantic, his rising star daughter, Jody, and the captain of the good ship Guthrow, Kim. The only reason Dylan Guthrow couldn't be here? Well, he's too busy making a splash in Nashville. This is the Canadian Love Map. Welcome, Guthrows. Thank you, Nancy. Thanks for having, Thanks for having us. Oh my gosh, I've been looking forward to this. Kim, uh, it's really just a trick to get you in here. You know, I brought the singers in just so that they would accompany you. What can you tell me about this uh, musical language of love that your family speaks? Oh my gosh, where would I start with that? Um, it's been such a journey and such a joy to be part of the Guthrow family music career and, you know, life really, um, started many years back when, from the very beginning, from when we were together, that, uh, music has been such a big part of our family and it continues to this day. So I'm just so happy to be part of the, the whole journey. Well, She's I, the glue. She is, isn't she? She is I, the okay. glue. No so I, I went to both of your songwriter circles, Bruce and Jody, in December, and I heard that message loud and clear. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mom gets mentioned every now and then up there. Yeah. Well, I guess we all have our part to play in the in the business and in the the journey, and you know, because we all have our special, unique abilities, and it all just works that way. So you know, I take my abilities and run with that and then they have theirs and we put it all together and it it seems to work so it's wild how much goes on behind the scenes and 
what it takes to put on a songwriter circle even like that just you know running around for my show i know she was delivering all the tickets personally to the tables and you know it's just all the behind the scenes to make it all work well i call it the, takes a village the, the left brain versus the right brain i'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm all the left brain i yeah. you know i take care of all the the numbers and the uh the logistics that way and yeah. leave the creativity to who it belongs to <laughs> and i sleep very well because she does that Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I need a Kim in my life. I, I joke well, I have no left hemisphere in my brain. Yeah. We all do. <laughs> we all do. No, it's, uh, she's amazing, Kim. actually, to keep the – she's the glue of the family when everyone's busy and touring and traveling and doing this and, and everything else and, uh, and you know, handles all the books and the finances and everything that comes through and, and I'm terrible at that stuff. So, I mean, it's just – and then when we started actually dating, I wasn't even in – I didn't even play music. Really, I just I, I wrote and sang in, in the living room, but I wasn't out and about, so I was managing a gym, actually. You read mm -hmm. my mind, because that's exactly where I was taking you. We were going to do a little time travel, mm -hmm. and I was going to ask you, when was the first time you laid eyes on your now <laughs> wife? You have to tell the jogging story. Yeah. Oh. Well, she used to have this old, I forget, what truck was it? It was, it was a, a 1974 Ford. It was before the seatbelt lot, must have been, because I used to see her driving around town with like seven girls packed in the front seat of that. And I always thought, she's cute. Is that in Sydney Mines? In Sydney Mines, yeah. And then I was doing a bit of running back then, and so was she. And uh, there's a new high school that was built called Memorial High, and there was a long road that, you know, just that you could run up there and back again. It was a nice little run away from houses and streets and stop signs and stuff. And um, literally, we were. I was running up. She was running down. We caught each other's eye. And then we got about 30 yards past each other and both glanced back to check each other out. <laughs> that's a true story. And that's where we first kind of noticed each other as far as in the town. And then I crashed a party at her house and the rest is history. Yeah, that was the beginning of the love story. Yeah. I want to mm -hmm. know what... Bruce, what, what era was that? What was he wearing to run, Kim? <laughs> Do you remember how he looked? How short were the shorts? Yeah, exactly. I don't know if I want to know. Oh, thank you, Jody, for <laughs> you know really explaining what I was asking. He was pretty cute, I have to say. Uh, I don't yeah. even remember what The I mullet was. and the mustache combo <laughs> oh. just really got her. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's beautiful. And so you, you then met at a party. Yeah, I just crashed. Uh, Kim was Kim used to have parties, or I mean, that was Sydney Mines. There wasn't a lot going on, so everybody would have a house party. But they had a lot, and uh, yeah, I just kind of showed up uninvited, and uh, that's where we kind of met and talked for a little while. And but then we sep we went our separate ways for a few years. That's true. We dated um, we dated a few times, and mm -hmm. Kim headed to Vancouver. Oh, mm. all the best love stories go like yeah. that, mm -hmm. right? And then she came back, and I remember there was a bar in North Sydney's called Raffles on the main street, mm -hmm. and Seamus McNeil and I, of the Baron McNeils, went, walked in, and Kim was sitting there with her friend, I believe it was Kim Tobin, mm -hmm. and uh, and I went like, wow, because I had heard she was married and out in BC and all that sort of stuff. Which and, I wasn't. No, but you were out in BC, yeah. just not married. Mm -hmm. I was pleasantly surprised to see you sitting there with your friend, and uh, we managed to get a couple of seats uh, same table and then the rest is really history then <laughs> yeah. we started dating full time and yeah That's so, so we're yeah we're in year 35 
Oh, congratulations. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I I am curious about um, what music, what role music played in both your lives growing up in Cape Breton, because of course, that island is renowned in Canada and really around the world for being a, a mecca of music and musicians. For my family, music was always part of our, our world. My grandparents on both sides were very musical. My my dad's side, especially, and actually my mom's side too. My my grandfather on hers and on mom's side played the the fiddle, and there was always accordions and guitars. And we grew up with a piano in our house, so there was singing, and we were part of choirs. My sisters and I. So from the get go, music was a huge part of our life. So the transition into you know our family as the Guthrow family with music, it just is completely fitting with, mm-hmm. yeah, my soul, really. How many sisters in your family? I have four younger sisters. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. The, so I'm the oldest of five girls. They're somewhat famous, I believe, the Anderson girls, right? Oh, they would be in Sydney Mines. Famous, so. ra- famous in that town, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, and as for me, I, I mean, like it, music wasn't a big part of the household other than the record player. Um, I was the first to kind of play, and there was nine of us, uh, play guitar or, or sing. Well, that's not true. We all sang in festivals and growing up through the schools and that sort of stuff. But uh, to take it on professionally or to try and write or to try and learn an instrument, I was the first to do that. And uh, But I did, as Kim said, partake in her side of the family and the music and stuff at, at every Christmas party or whatever party was going on. Eventually, someone, uh, you know, doing coffee shops and singer-songwriter things and people would call me up and Starting a band, start a little band. First, the first band gig there was four people at, oh. four people at in Sydney Mines, and two of them got in a fight. And we lost half, lost half our crowd. Oh, stop. Yeah. <clears throat> True story. Oh, it was a, that is a Cape Breton story if I ever heard. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Bear and McNeils were a huge influence. I had mentioned, uh, yeah. uh, and they were friends of uh, both of us. And uh, I mean, they would have these parties that would be notoriously go go on for three days. So the Bear McNeils, for those who don't know, are a group of uh, three men and one woman. And at that time, they were boys and girls. That's right. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I saw them quite a bit when I was working on CTV Atlantic in the early days. Yeah. Amazing musicians. Uh, they just lost their mom the last couple of days. Jean, oh uh, God rest her soul, amazing woman. Just a fantastic group of people, just in terms of kindness and and uh, but also in terms of musicality mm-hmm. we go if you know going to their parties it was just the tunes just would not stop it just they would literally go for 25 minutes at a time one set of tunes would keep going and someone would push the stuff that was about to fall off the piano back onto it while Shane was just pounding on it and I was just in, in, enthralled with it all and and I would just sit and listen and then they'd stop and they'd say tell us a joke Guthrie or sing us a song and and uh, very encouraging. And growing up in that little town uh, and that whole island uh, and befriending all those musicians and being nurtured by them and, and uh, accepted by them and encouraged by them was was huge, huge part of my musical upbringing. And you're one of many 
Really? That's the thing mm. about when I say it's a, a musical vortex. What you're describing is you saw role models who were, were already making music a career. Mm -hmm. And so you see a path that's there. A lot of people don't have that opportunity. They don't see people who are, are doing that. They think, oh, I got to be a lawyer or a dentist or what have you. So mm -hmm. that's amazing. And how did your career really get rolling, would you say? Well, I did everything to support the musical habit. I did everything from roofing to I was a bricklayer's helper. I went out west when I was 17 years old, worked in a hard rock mine. You were um, down in the mine? <clears throat> yeah, 3,200 feet underground. Wow. Uranium mine. Um, and uh, so I did everything I could to afford my habit of <laughs> wanting to make a living in the music industry. And eventually I actually started to make a living in the music industry and put several bands together and that broke up and as as you would in in the cape breton bar scene and eventually i just kind of uh, decided i had to the only way i would progress on this is put my name in front of the band mm -hmm. and and not have it break up so uh, we did that and uh, started to build a little following uh, the bear mcneils again introduced me to glenn meisner at cbc at, at studio h mm -hmm. there when they were doing forget the name of the show but Oh, I know. I can just see it. Yeah. yeah. And, and and Glenn was working with Brooks on a Stan Rogers uh, tribute. I ended up getting involved in that and, and writing a song, a tribute song to Stan, which ended up closing the show, which opened some doors. Natalie McMaster was doing Atlantic Airways at the time mm -hmm. and uh, asked, liked my writing and asked me to be on her show, then asked me to write a song for her record, which I did, and then she liked it, and I sang on it, played it at the ECMAs. Steen Cameron, who was the president of EMI, heard it, liked it, wanted to sign me, and it just, everything just kind of rolled quickly in a two or three year period to- Isn't it beautiful when it snowballs like it that? It was awesome. It's like a path just opens up, and you just are along for the ride. Yeah, it really was, wow. and, and Brooks was was managing Brooks at Simon. the time, yeah, and doing a great job of it. So he's a he's a legend. He is, yeah. A lot of the a lot of the current Halifax managers kind of came through that uh, Brooks's office to to learn the ropes. Well, I want you to know that uh, Natalie and Danelle were on the Love Map podcast last year, and Brooks and Fiona Diamond are in my sights. So. Oh, they'd be perfect for it as well. <laughs> they would. And so would Nat they and Danelle. Would. They'd be awesome as well. I'm sure they were. So we're, we're going to get to the kids' musicality as well, mm -hmm. but we can't not talk about Run Rig because mm. you had a really pivotal thing happen when you had an opportunity overseas. Yeah, I just did my first record with EMI, uh, which was Of Your Son, which did really well, went gold, and I had a number one single. Let me say Thank that you. name again for everyone. Who, go look for this right now, Of Your Son. Mm -hmm. Beautiful album. Yeah, so it, it did really well, and, and uh, everyone seemed happy in the camp. And then I guess I need to tell it from their perspective. The, the Runner's lead singer left for politics. And this he, is a Scottish band. Exactly. They were huge in Europe, right? They they were massive, yeah. yeah. And the, uh, very, they were like the Grateful Dead of their territory, very culty. Yeah. But like in their heyday, they were all young, handsome Highland Scots. And literally in their heyday, put 50,000 people in a field wow. that, uh, for their own show that 50. they promoted themselves. Yeah. Um, so their lead singer, for whatever reason, decided he had enough. Of and the he music. went to politics, yeah. Right. He went to politics, failed his bid, but he, he took a run at it. They were looking for a lead singer. Their manager's son was driving a team of Huskies in northern Canada and heard fiddle and bow. Are you kidding? Yeah, and said, 
that voice could be the voice. They had auditioned like 300 people. Now, everyone who went to that audition in Scotland were terrified because they were legendary in Scotland. So, you know, and they just didn't find the voice that would fit the band is, is what I was told. And they called Brooks. Uh, their manager called Brooks and said, we'd like him to come over and audition. Here's who we are and here's what we've done. And Brooks said, uh, who? <laughs> Runling. <laughs> okay. Uh, no. Thank you, but no. You know, we're on a nice little roll ourselves right now. You don't and want to interrupt that. When you've got no. a flow going, you're in the zone. And EMI owned me globally. We did a, we did a national, uh, international deal. So I Googled them. And looked and thought, oh, my, I mean, I don't know. This is an opportunity we should maybe not be passing up. Because you realized it could serve. Not only would it not interrupt, but it could really serve exactly. your career here. Exactly. She called back and, and said, look, the least you can do and come over and meet the guys. We'll pay for the tickets. So Brooks and I said, we've never been to Scotland. Let's go to Scotland. And uh, landed in Glasgow, met the guys. And it, it took me all of about half an hour to realize like, I, I really like these guys and I really like the music. Um, typically in band fashion, half of the band were very welcoming and, and wanted me and thought I was a guy and half the band wasn't quite sure if I was the guy. And oh, really? Long story short, the audition went really well. And uh, then I had to come back and see if we could actually make it happen. Brooks agreed uh, that it probably wouldn't be a bad thing. I got to go to Kim for a second here. Mm -hmm. what, was, what was your perspective on all this at the time? It was mind-boggling, to be honest. It was, okay, you know, we have a couple of young kids, and mm. you're going to go, what? <laughs> you're going where? Were With you, whom? Were we living in Hammond's Plains at this point in time, or were you guys still in Cape Breton? We, we were, were literally in the process of We were move. moving, okay. yeah. Oh, you were moving with two young kids mm -hmm. and he was going to go off to Scotland. Mm -hmm. And she was starting a new job. And be a rock star. Oh, yeah. So you're a it teacher, was. Right? I am. Yes, I am. I wasn't at the time, though. I wasn't back then. I had, uh, I was working at a hospital in Cape Breton, and I had got a job at Bell Alliant, actually, in Halifax. Mm -hmm. So we moved here just as his career with Runring was starting. You know, it was a, it was a difficult time. I'm not going to lie. It was, uh, it was hard, but, you know, he couldn't give up that opportunity. We couldn't give up that opportunity. We just knew that he had to take that path. So, you know, we just buckle down and did what we had to do to to make that happen but the fact that you've made it to 35 years of marriage is made all that more significant mm. by yes. that story mm. yes oh wow mm -hmm. yeah she was amazing through it all i mean i would never have been able to do that without kim and, no, and knowing full well that with the kids and be looked after and and it was tricky i mean uh, she didn't ended up uh, keeping the job at at uh, MT&T too long uh, mm -hmm. just because we realized that like we didn't want strangers raising our kids mm -hmm. that was a busy busy time mm -hmm. but it's it's you know it's one of those things the sun is shining you know let's make the hay because it's you know, those opportunities don't come often so. how strange was it to find this whole other level of fame all of a sudden I mean, a stage is a stage. I always kind of figured that whether it's it's easier to play in front of 10,000 than it is 10. And, uh, you know, because you got the production and behind you and the band behind you. And it was it was more more strange being coming from a solo career to a band situation. That's right. what was really difficult for me. 
because of, with the band situation, you're voting on everything. Nobody ever agreed on, on anything. I mean, it, it worked out. We had to be very well organized in terms of what was coming in the future, planning literally years out. We made agreements that if, if I was booked with Runrig, uh, no matter what offer came across Bruce Gothrow's desk, it didn't... Uh, it couldn't be taken because I was booked mm -hmm. with Runrig and vice versa. So you got, you know, you can imagine the friction that would bring. Oh, I can't. <laughs> yeah. They would get a massive festival offer oh and I'd be playing uh, Stanfest. So I can't, I can't do it. I'm already booked. I contracted with Stanfest. So sorry, boys. Uh, you have to, man. You don't, you know how much money they're after. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know the deal and you know the drill. No, it was cool. It was, it was great. It's, it, there's, there's nothing quite like standing in front of ten or 20,000 people and having them sing back every word to you and feel that energy and have that big sound and production behind you. It's a whole unique experience compared to doing a songwriter circle where you, just you and your acoustic guitar, just a different kind of beautiful. You know, I, I enjoy both equally. Mm -hmm. I, miss, I miss the big stage a little bit sometimes. Um, but, man, I love doing just strip down, bringing it down, down to what it's all about, which is the writing of the songs more than probably anything. I love listening to that. I have to say the songwriter circle, which we're going to get to, is something that gives me so much joy mm -hmm. to to participate in. Well, not participate, well, as a listener. Yeah, well, hopefully you feel like <laughs> you are. La, 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 yeah. la, la. <laughs> We couldn't share the great stories that we do here on the Canadian Love Map podcast without the amazing support of Charm Diamond Centres. They are Canada's largest family-owned jeweler, and they're proud to be putting love on the map. The folks at Charm Diamond Centres are thrilled to be a part of your love story. So visit CharmDiamondCenters.com or one of your local stores. Love starts here. Um, when did the kids start to show a tendency toward being musical? You know, they kind of developed separately that way. I was going to say, it was definitely a very different time. Yeah. Dylan, yeah. Dylan, when he was, was following me around with his little half-sized guitar when he was four. Mm -hmm. And Kim was not only the, the glue and the organizer for everything that was going on, she was also the... The videotaper. The videotaper. There's a <laughs> the better word than videotaper. Video but that's exactly, video exactly what I was trying to the look video for. videotaper back. So, so she, she was holding the camera. So I bet there aren't that many everything. pictures and not a lot of video of her. No. That's really yeah. mother's yeah. curse, right? Yeah. yeah. But she did. I mean, they're from that high to that high. There's hundreds of videotapes of them. And so Dylan's there being a songwriter and belting out and just, you know, hitting the guitar. And then he started to actually learn how to play. And, and you know, he progressed very quickly uh, in terms of being able to play. And then he started playing bass. And he was like, uh, he's the musical guy in the family, probably, well, not probably, way more than me. Mm -hmm. Like his musicality, it's just I, I could I could live three lifetimes and not be able to play like him. It's a, that's a gift, probably yeah. from both sides of the family, mm -hmm. like Kim's musical side as well. And uh, and then Jody, I would say more in her mid-teens, early teens. I actually remember I was 14, 13 or 14, and I was watching one of the old home videos, and I hadn't picked up the guitar really yet at this point. And there was a video of Dylan, he was about four, and he was playing bar chords, and he was playing 
sweet home Alabama or something like this. And I was like, okay, it's time. Like he's four and he's like, no, it's time to learn. Game on. I was always really into writing like poetry. I was more into the lyrics and the songwriting and everything. I'm and, and gifted at it. May I add? It's uh, I mean, she had a writing was always such a huge part of the process for me. And, uh, and so I think it just kind of in turn flipped over uh, to both Dylan and Jody. And Dylan being the musicality of the family and being incredible on everything, like he plays drums, bass, keyboards, produces, writes, does it all. There's also, I believe, a gift that is given to the soul to mm -hmm. have, a, have the gift of the word is what I call it. So it's like, it's a bit of work, as you said earlier, meets just the gift. Yeah. And, and Jody, in my opinion, was given the gift, the, the gift of the word. Like I, you know, it's kind of just being able to craft together the lyric to, um, to make a great song is a true art. And, and uh, the way some people can just take to a, a, a canvas with paint and she could take to a song with with her lyric and melody ideas and and always up and current on on what was happening on radio and and very clever with those little twists and turns and she just started to blossom in her teens very quickly in, in terms of that and and then you got to witness it not long ago with the yeah circle. tell me tell me about that from your perspective Jody what was that like once you decided, okay, if Dylan could play when he was four, it's time for me. And, yeah. And what was the progress like from there? I definitely don't have the natural musical ability the way Dylan does. But yeah, I, I really gravitated toward just writing writing songs and, and lyrics. And the guitar was kind of just a way to kind of get that out. It was just a platform, I guess. But it's funny, I look back now on songs that I wrote when I was like 15, 16, 17, and I'm like, I relate more to them now than I don't even I didn't even know what I was talking about back then. But everything is just so new to you at that age. And you're watching and I would write songs about you guys and your love story. And because I hadn't experienced heartbreak or anything like that yet, but I could write about it. And uh, it's interesting, too. And I've never really limited myself to one genre either. I've kind of as I've grown, I've I was really into pop in my early 20s and R&B. And now I kind of gravitate more toward singer songwriter country style and so yeah it's just interesting to see where it all goes how do you feel when you are on stage singing and playing amazing i love it i i hate the feeling right before you get on stage yeah, don't we all <laughs> and then you sit there and it, it feels like home it feels yeah especially when you get to do it with your family members you know being we got to um tour across Germany and Denmark in 2019 the Christmas tour with dad and Dylan and it was just it's incredible and it feels like home because you are up there with your family and you're doing it together and it's amazing mm -hmm. for that songwriter circle you assembled an amazing collection of voices I don't want to say female voices because they weren't all female. Mm -hmm. One was non-binary, I mm -hmm. believe. Mm -hmm. But that was a real moment in my perspective for you to really step into your power as yeah. a songwriter and a, a performer. I said after the show, if you had a, told me even a year ago that I would have been hosting a songwriter circle, I would have thought you were crazy. It definitely took a lot I want to say inner work to you know build the confidence and you know a lot of rehearsing and preparing to you know sit and 
sit on the throne, <laughs> follow in those footsteps. You know, it was it was a lot, but it was one of the most magical experiences of my life. I felt very proud afterwards. You crushed it. You crushed she it. She did crush it. I sent her a note afterwards saying, you just, you know what, you held the container in such a beautiful way. And that is, that takes... That takes a really special talent. People don't understand, you know, what is involved in that. Thank so you, you, you did you. an amazing job. Thank you. I appreciate that. And the songwriter circle, the concept was kind of invented by your dad, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Well, there wasn't, I mean, I'm sure there were people doing it. Like I, I, I kind of stole it from the Bluebird Cafe in Nashville. Kim and I went down very, very long time ago, I won a contest to give me a publishing deal to do a record in Nashville. And we went to the Bluebird at the time and there was three very unassuming guys in t-shirts and ball caps and sitting in the circle. And the first guy strummed a song and said, well, you know, this one did okay for me. And started saying, blame it all on my roots. I showed up in boots. I was like, that's a guy who wrote that. Mm -hmm. And the yeah. next guy says, well, this one made a few mortgage payments for me. And he says, Turn down the light, turn down the bed. Oh my gosh, you like, give me chills. Yeah, well, it gave, like I couldn't, I had to lift my chin off my chest. It was, my jaw dropped. And um thought, this is so cool. Said, I, you know, someone should do this on a bigger platform. Long story short, again, I took it home, brought it to the ECMAs, pitched the idea. They agreed. Uh, I think one of the first circles I had, uh, Rita McNeil and Dave Carmichael and Matt Minglewood were in it. Imagine. And um, and from there, we did it for a while. And then every year I'd kind of organize the ECMA circle. And then it just it just got a little bit too, I don't want to say, well, it's, I guess you could say political. Uh, so I just decided to let that go and then start my own, do them publicly and, and uh, formed up a great partnership with the Casino Nova Scotia. And they've been going now for 20 years. Amazing. I better explain why Dylan is not here with us. We haven't excluded him, but he's he's otherwise occupied. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's back and forth to Nashville, but uh, he's he's there a lot. Has a publishing deal down there, and he's and that's you know, speaking of crushing it, writing with Walker Hayes uh, on a on a regular basis, and and the who's who of the Nashville scene right now. So, yeah, he's living his best life right now. It's it's taken a long time for him to land on his feet where he, where. I think he believes and we all believe he belongs. And uh, so we're, we're all so, so damn proud of him right now. Well, of course, uh, Gordy Sampson started a song camp in Cape Breton uh, years ago now. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing that both you and Dylan went to that, did you, Jody? We did. He started going a few years before me because I was pretty young when it first started. And then I think I was 19 the first year I went. And yeah, that has shaped both of us so much to, to have that community and to have that support and have all those role models like Mo Kenny, Bria Isabel, mm -hmm. everyone that was there and I grew up looking up to. You learn so, so much. So, yeah, that was a huge part of shaping, I think, both of our writing abilities. And talk about seeing a path open to you. You know, Gordy has, has done so well in Nashville. Uh, of course, he's the very famous uh, writer of Jesus Take the Wheel and many, many other songs. Yeah. But that it's that brotherhood, sisterhood that really happens in this part of the world where people mentor each other and, and support each other. So true. So true. And no bigger one than Gordy, really. I mean, to do that song camp, it wasn't a for-profit 
venture. Mm -hmm. You know, it was literally just to nurture, help, and grow the young songwriting crop. Give back. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and has he ever? Like, I mean, there was a mentorship program he did in Nashville that he brought Dylan down for, which started that whole process. He's been introducing Dylan to his inner circles, which, of course, you know, Dylan's killing it. Amazing. You know, he's he's kind of like there. He's, he only needs the introduction. Once he gets in there, he he proves his worth himself. Um, they hang out all the time. They spend every Friday night at Gordy's uh, writing room and uh, he's like a second dad to him down there. And, and, you know, we feel much more comfortable knowing that he's there and, you know, that, that Dylan can reach out to him and Helen and Amelie, which is like a second family down there. So he's a uh, Gordy Sampson is just a, just an amazing human being. Yeah. And a, a talented one, to say the least. You know. We're so proud of him in, in Nova Scotia, for sure. I'm sure Cape Bretoners even more so. Jody, you wrote a song that you brought home and sang to your dad, and then he added a verse. Can mm -hmm. you tell me that story? Because that's one of the stories that came out of the songwriting circle, and I'm sure there wasn't a dry eye in the room. Yeah, I, I was... 17 I think and Father's Day was coming up and I didn't have any money to get dad a Father's Day gift so I thought I'd write him a verse and a chorus <laughs> or start a song at least and so I did and I I sang it for him and I was like well here's here's what I have so far and then a few days later he came back with the second verse and the other chorus and we put it together and it's one of my favorite songs I think I've I know I've ever written because it's just so special and it wasn't even intended to be that way. It just kind of we just started doing it at shows together and and everyone kind of you know really connected with it. And now it feels empty if we do a show and we don't <laughs> we don't sing that song. Actually, at the circle, we had one more round to do and I and that I wasn't expecting at the show because it was kind of going really fast. Mm -hmm. We still had some time to kill, so. I got a little note on the, the side of the table there that said, Bruce says two more rounds. And I was like, oh my goodness, I don't have songs prepared. <laughs> so I said, okay, well, we'll do our duet. And I called him out and it was totally unprepared. And I called him up on stage and, and we sang it together and it ended up becoming a really great moment of the show, I think. So oh, it was, it, it was, you know, everyone had chills and, and tears in their eyes. It mm -hmm. was really beautiful. Um, can you sing a couple of lines of that? We actually we... <clears throat> we debated bringing the guitar just we to did. play that one, but uh, mm -hmm. can, yeah, can, can you, you do go that ahead. a cappella, or am I putting you on the spot? We can do it. Do you want to do a chorus or? Sure. I'll I'll explain one line in the in the beginning of it too because it's like I it's one of my favorite lines in the song, but it's like, um, the when you pack your bags and leave for work, the hug goodbye and that love and smirk as you promised us you wouldn't be too long. I never understood the distance, only understood time and how much a night you'd cross my mind as I laid in bed wondering where you'd gone. And it takes me back to being a kid and when he was traveling back and forth from going overseas. And, you know, it's true. I never understood just how far away he was going. I just knew he would he was going away to sing. He was going on an airplane, going away to sing. And I don't think I understood the magnitude of what was happening until I went over to Scotland and got to see it for the first time in the massive crowd and the huge show. But yeah. you thought, that's my dad. Yeah. I'm like, who is this guy in leather pants and sunglasses? That is not my dad. So when she passed me that song, I wrote back. I never thought I'd ever understand how I'd fit into this master plan until the day I took your hand in mine. Your mother laid you in my arms. You took a breath and you took my heart. 
and there and then every single star aligned. And uh, then we just kind of rework the second course <clears throat> for yeah. which we'll sing to you yeah, right now. You want to do it? Sure. Do you want to pick a key for me? You start um, it. Yes, I thank God. All right. One, two, three. Yes, I thank God every day for giving me your eyes. I wouldn't change a single thing about our crooked smile. Seasons flow and I watch you grow. I just hope to God you know that you can count on me. I'll be by your side. You can count on me. I'll be by your side. Where do we go from there? That is incredible. That is that song deserves to go big places. It hasn't even been recorded yet. We yeah. were actually texting the other day. We were like, we gotta record that. We it gotta lay now. that down. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, you gotta record that. And uh, you know what? Gordy Sampson's gonna get it into somebody's hands in Nashville. And the next thing we know, it's gonna be winning a. A Grammy or a there you go. Nice. There you go. You want to manage us? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, perfect. I think you've got the best manager in town right over there. <laughs> Kim, yeah. what would you love to see? I started with you, and I'm going to turn it to you now that you're all emotional. What would you love to see for your kids' musical careers? Boy, oh boy. Um, just to do whatever makes them happy, really. And I see that with Dylan in Nashville right now. Like he's. He's killing it and loving it and making new friends and and Jody, you know, just whatever makes you happy in your music. I think that's the most important thing. Jody, what would you like to accomplish? Where where would you like your career to take you? It's so funny because in the last few years, I've really been on the fence of whether I want to continue with it or, you know, start something new and I've always loved the marketing side of being an artist and being in the industry and I and when the pandemic started I decided to go back to school and um, get my PR degree and now I'm working on the marketing team at Charm Diamond Center and um, that's been amazing but I it's music is still such a big part of me and I would love to always just continue writing and continue working and just see see where it takes me and maybe host more songwriter circles in the future. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> I think it'd be a big loss to the world if you were to stop. Ooh, so yeah. um, I think it's a given that you will, you'll need to continue just to fulfill your musical soul, you know, from what I've witnessed. And, and again, it's just my opinion. Like mom said, you got to do what makes you happy. But uh, you don't, you know, you don't necessarily have to get up every day and dive into that to still nurture it and love it and grow so you know i think uh, you got the best of both worlds it's funny how there's there's speaking of hard work and then just the creative idea coming to you that's where i find you and i are very similar in a sense where we might not write anything for a few months and then all of a sudden we just wake up one day and it, there's that idea and we have to just drop everything that we're doing that day right. and write the song it's weird and then where dylan is more like it's like a nine to five job every day. He gets up five days a week and, and, and that's how his writing style kind of works. So it's just 
it's interesting because that happened to me the other day when you know you have that writer's block for a few months and you're like is this gone now am I ever going to be able to write again and and then boom you just wake up and it's there and you have to kind of grab it out of the universe and say it's mine and, and write the song I call it a bolt of enlightening. Yeah, there yeah, you go. That's great. I that's love great. that. It's like, you're um, dealing with songwriters now. We're writing yeah, that down. Yeah. Okay. Bruce, you know, um, I mean, I'm talking about the future for your kids, but you're not going anywhere because your fans will not let you yeah. <laughs> stop. There's no well, question. Thank goodness. I'm, I'm just, you know, not unlike, not unlike what, what Kim said. I'm just kind of doing what makes me happy these days. I'm not really touring, um, and I don't know if I will anymore. Like I admire these guys. Like uh, I'll use Dave Gunning as an amazing artist and great friend, um, and they're just road roadhounds. They can just go out and you know do do two hundred dates a year. And be you know wouldn't be shocking to see Dave, Dave and people like JP and those guys do that. And Matt Anderson. Um, I I don't want to do that anymore. I, I've you know I've got almost a million air miles and I've traveled a lot across the the world and Kim uh, is nodding like she doesn't want you to do <laughs> <yeah>. that either <laughs> time to slow down yeah. yeah yeah so I love my circles I love you know I love doing them um I I certainly have uh built the contacts and and friends to uh continue with them and you know I, I always take an interest in in Jody and Dylan's career Dylan not so much anymore because he's gone um but but uh but Jody, uh, I do still uh, try and involve myself as much as possible in in, uh, in all aspects of it. So that you know that'll keep us busy, and uh, you know we get places we want to go and things we want to see, and and so I just kind of enjoy uh, just trying to enjoy life and uh, certainly not retire, but but take a step back from the the grind, mm -hmm. for lack of a better word, um, and just do what I want to do instead of what I have to do. Right on. Well, thank you to your whole family for the beauty you're putting into the world. Well, thank you. Congratulations on this podcast, yes, by the way. Thanks it's for awesome. us. We've been we've been we've been uh, creeping you. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the word they it's use? Lurking. Yeah. Lurking. We've been it's lurking. A pretty pretty great job. I yeah. get to have conversations like this. Like I, I every time I think I love my job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. you're great at it. That's probably why you love it. Thank you all so much. Thank and you for having us. Say hi to Dylan for us, too. Mm -hmm. Will do. Will I'll do. be watching you all. I'll be <laughs> creeping and lurking, too. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Thank Thanks. you so Thanks, much. Nancy. Thanks for listening to the Canadian Love Map. If you love us, please subscribe and share. And if you want to help us spread the love even more, rate and review our podcast. It makes such a difference. We'll be back next week with another love story to add to the map. This podcast is presented and made possible by Charm Diamond Centers. It's hosted by me, Nancy Regan, and is produced and distributed by Podstarter. <laughs>